Boy, it's, it's amazing how many things we, we can take for granted in this life, isn't it? It's like when you're a parent with young kids. All the, all the older parents, all the grandparents, they tell you, they grow up fast, right? They grow up fast. Don't miss it. They grow up fast. And that, that is true. They do grow up fast. I can now testify as we've got one in the high school and one in the middle school and one that's about to finish her last year in elementary school. It's true. They grow up fast. And uh, I know we've got some, it's graduation season. We got kids graduating and going to the next level. And uh, this is a season where we're reminded of how fast life changes from one season to the next. And, and it is true that we can take things for granted that we have with us all the time, whether it's family or, or conveniences. If you ever had your car break down and all of a sudden you had to bum a ride off somebody and you're like, this is not good. I remember when my family first moved uh, to Texas, we were always a two-car family. I had a family before I, or I had a car. I didn't have a family before I got married. <laughs> Let me clarify that. I had a car before I got married and not another family. <laughs> <laughs> and day she had a vehicle and so you know we were just always a two vehicle family and then like right before we moved to Texas the engine in my car blew up and so we went to Texas with just one vehicle and and uh and then we were just a one vehicle family for a long time and I realized like oh my gosh how did we like how did we ever manage as a one vehicle family, because once we got back to a second car, I felt like somebody had, you know, given me like hours back in my day. I think sometimes we can be that way with the presence of God. It's just here. It's just for us. It's just available. We can be that way about the church. How many of you know you're blessed to be in church this morning? You're blessed. We're blessed to be here. We're blessed to be with one another today. The fact that we can be in each other's presence today is an incredible blessing. You know, there are people, and I don't say this to guilt trip anyone, but there are people around the world that, that would love to be able to fellowship openly with other believers, to be able to, in a public place, to be able to convene in the name of Jesus. In some nations, that name is illegal to mention. It's illegal to gather in that name, but here we are today. We're a blessed people. How about, let's not take it for granted. Amen. Amen. I want you to open your Bibles with me today to John chapter 15. For those of you that know me, I usually preach in series, and uh, so I've always got a thought that I'm kind of running deep into for several weeks in a row. And this is kind of a unique season for us because we just had New Life Sunday, and then we had Mother's Day. And now next week, as you heard mentioned earlier, evangelist Ron Rhodes is going to be preaching, and I'm so excited to have Ron uh, preaching for us. And then, uh, and then we'll have a, the the we'll be in June already. And then after that next Sunday, I've got a dear friend of mine coming from New Mexico. Pastor Anthony Torres will be coming and preaching. So I've got a few weeks here scattered between where I just kind of get to preach what's on my heart, and I don't really have a, a series that I'm in right now. And I was praying for us this week and just saying, God, what what is it you want to say to us? And there, there's a, a text that the Lord put on my heart here in John chapter 15. And I just want to say here by way of introduction, this is a message that is applicable and timely for any person on any given Sunday, in any scenario you might be facing. This is a message that we never get away from. And so I just want to, I don't know how far I'll get into this chapter, but I want to take some time right here at the beginning, and I want to read together the first 17 verses. I know it's a lot of scripture, but I want to read the first 17 verses of John chapter 15. And, and let me just say, in case you're unfamiliar with this, this is Jesus speaking. This is, uh, all of his words are critical, but this is at critical mass. He's about to go to the cross. He's imparting some things into his disciples here, right here at the end of their discipleship season of life. And Jesus says some incredible words about who he is. So let's look at it together. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me 
as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, he says again, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, some of you are starting to figure out why I picked the title that I picked for today. The message is titled, Remain. He said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Last verse. This is my command. Love each other. Father, I just pray right now that you would just breathe life into our hearts through this word. Lord, your word is alive. It is active. It is doing what you sent it forth to accomplish. But God, we have a responsibility to your word today, and that's to be hearers, and not hearers only, but hearers and doers of the word. So God, speak to each of our hearts today. Let your church be strengthened in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 So I want to talk to you about this word, remain. Jesus said it 11 times in 10 verses. I mean, if somebody says something twice, it's probably important. How many of you think this is important? Over and over, Jesus emphasized remain, remain. And, and I, I just wanted to make sure that I understood what it meant and that he, he meant what I thought it meant. And so I just went to the dictionary first. So before we get into a biblical definition, let me just tell you what the dictionary says about this word remain. It says to stay in the same place or in the same condition. If something remains, it continues to exist. To exist when other parts or other things no longer do. We could look around this room today and, and we could see in the empty seats some folks that haven't remained. Now, I'm not just talking about people that miss church because they're on vacation or because they're sick. I mean, you can look across the landscape of your life and Christian community and you can look at some people and you would say, wow, you know, they, they grew up in the same church I went to but I, I don't think they're, they're serving the Lord today. They haven't, they haven't stayed in that same condition. They, there used to be a time where they walked with Jesus, but they haven't stayed in that same place any longer. And so Jesus, just over and over and over again, he emphasizes to the disciples on this critical night that there's something you need to know about who I am. And, and I just want to walk through these verses together. He begins in the first verse with a declaration. I am the vine. And this is the seventh and the final I am declaration that John records for us in his gospel. 
So as you read through the Gospel of John, you get all of these powerful, revelating statements about Jesus. He said, I am the door. So if you're looking for a way today, Jesus said, I'm the door. He said, I am the good shepherd. So if you feel like you need some direction, he is the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so if, if you feel empty today, there's good news. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. So if you lack direction today, Jesus can point you on the right road. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. So if you just feel dead today, there's still good news for you. How about that? He's the resurrection and the life. All of these things, I am, I am, I am. And then we get to chapter 15. And again, Jesus is about to go to the cross, and they still don't have a full grasp on who he is He's just broke bread with them. He just celebrated the fruit of the vine. They drank communion together, and now Jesus says to them, I am the vine. And he didn't just say, I'm the vine. He said, I am the true vine. You see that there in the text? I'm the true vine. And can I tell you why he said, I'm the true vine? He said that because the disciples already understood the metaphor of the vine. This wasn't a new idea. These people, they, they were Jews. They, they grew up. Their old, our Old Testament was, was their Bible. And so they were very familiar with the imagery of the vine. And all through the Old Testament, the vine and the vineyard represents Israel. It's the nation of Israel. You, you don't have to turn to these, but let me just mention a couple verses to you. In Psalms chapter 80, verse 8, it says, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove the nations out and planted it. That's talking about the Exodus story. He brought the Hebrew people, the vine, and he planted them. Hosea 10.1 says, Israel was a spreading vine. Jeremiah 2 and 21 says, I have planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. Now, there is one that I want you to look at with me. It's in Isaiah chapter 5. Because all through the Old Testament, we have this metaphor of the vine being God's people, Israel, the Hebrew people. And in Isaiah chapter 5, the prophet is speaking on the Lord's behalf, and he says these words in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. This is a powerful text about the condition of what's happening in the nation of Israel at this time. It says in verse 1, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. Now, this is the Lord describing uh, us parabolically. He says, he dug it up and he cleared it of stones and he planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, and he cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have than what I've already done for it? When I look for grapes... Why did it yield only bad? Verse five, now I'll tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll take away its hedge. It'll be destroyed. I'll break down its walls and it'll be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. He says very clearly, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. So God gives this powerful picture in the Old Testament to say that that Israel was the vine and that God did everything that needed to be done for it to prosper. I mean, he built the watchtower, he protected them, he cultivated them, he did everything, and yet when he came looking for the harvest, harvest, it didn't produce. And so now in John chapter 15, they all get this, they all understand this. We're, some of us are catching up this morning, but when he said, I'm the vine, he said, I'm the true vine. Because you've heard about the vine your whole life, you thought you were the vine. 
But, but Israel has withered on the vine. Israel has rejected me. And even Jesus could say personally, I have come and they have rejected me. But I am the true vine. You know what Jesus was saying in this moment? He was saying, what, what you failed to do, I'm going to do. What Israel couldn't do, I'm going to do. Israel couldn't fulfill all the commands, but I can. Israel couldn't obey God's law, but I did. I am the fulfillment of all that they were supposed to be, all that they tried to be, all that they couldn't be. I will accomplish it. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. He's going to be the one to produce. There's, there's something we need to understand, and I may come back to this later, but I just want to say it now, because we read this sometimes, and we feel like, you know, it's all about us producing something. You know, I, I'm the vine, you're the branches. It's all about us doing something. Can I just say today, we don't produce fruit. We bear fruit. The fruit comes from the vine. That's where the strength, that's where the nutrients, that's where the life flows from. That's where the, the, the seed sprouts into. And so we don't produce fruit. We bear fruit. It's the vine who said, everything that you couldn't do, I do. And so understand today, at the onset of this message and this text, is that, that God is saying, I can be faithful. I will do everything that I said I was going to do because Jesus is the true vine. Now let's look at the second verse again. It says, he cuts off every branch in me. He's, he's talking about God. He's, I didn't read the second part of verse one again, but he said, the Father God is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Here's what we need to understand about this. There's two types of branches in the vine. There's fruitful and there's unfruitful branches. Branches. Now, we read it earlier, verse 5, in case you didn't know, says very clearly, we are the branches. So he's talking about us. And there's two types of those that are in the vine. There's the fruitful branches and there's the unfruitful branches. And the whole key to understanding verse 2, if you're a person that likes to underline stuff in your Bible or circle stuff, you might want to pinpoint this. The whole key to understanding verse 2 is these two words, in me. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And the reason that's the key is because both types of branches are in Christ. He said the branches that are in me that don't bear fruit, they get cut off. The branches that are in me that do bear fruit, they get pruned. So let's just talk about the unfruitful branches for just a minute, because I'm just going to be honest with you, here's kind of what I grew up thinking, and I think what a lot of us maybe have believed, is that, that we read this text and we say, well, if you're not faithful, Jesus is going to just cut you off. I mean, yeah, you, you prayed the same prayer, you know, you, 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 you believed, you had faith, you know, the preacher said, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart and you'll be saved. You did that, but yet still, you kind of have this feeling that if you don't produce enough fruit, you're going to get cut off. And then the question is, how fruitful is fruitful enough? I mean, who decides that? At what point am I fruitful enough that I'm not going to get snipped and thrown into the fire? You need to understand the key to this text is that he's talking about those who are in me. Because let's be honest, that's scary, right? I mean, that's scary to think that, wait a minute, I could, I could be in Christ, I could pray the prayer, I could put my faith in Jesus, and still I could just get kind of lopped off and cast into the fire. And a lot of us, we, we believe that because of the way we read this text. And if we're not careful, what happens is this. We begin to develop a works-based theology of salvation. We begin to start feeling like in order to, to be the good fruit and, and not the bad, I got to produce something. Like, I, I know you said we're saved by grace through faith, and we love to say that, we love to preach that, but in our heart, we actually believe we're saved by grace through faith, and then you better start doing something, because if you don't do it fast enough, he might come in with the snips, and you're out. And so we, we start earning what was a free gift. We start fighting to attain when all we had to do was remain. And we get in this place where we're, 
we're all of a sudden looking at salvation as something to be earned. And can I, let's be honest today. Some of us, we actually want it to mean that. Some of us, we, we want it to mean that. And the reason you want it to mean that is because you look at some people and the way that they live their life, they profess to be a Christian, but you don't see any fruit. And you can't explain it. And, and here's the thing about all of us. We hate hypocrisy, don't we? I mean, just... When you see, you know, somebody that just says they're one thing and they act another way, that word hypocrisy, it comes from a Greek word that just means a mask. And so, you know, when the, the, the thespians in the Greek theater would wear a mask and pretend to be something that they weren't, they were a hypocrite. And so that, that's, the, that's the word picture we have. And when we see somebody wearing a mask on Sunday morning, oh, I saw you Friday night. Don't, don't be playing up in here in church. <laughs> Don't be acting like you're, don't be raising your hands. I, I saw you in the club. You know what I mean? Like, we all, we don't want, we don't want hypocrisy. And so it, it kind of gives us a little bit of a, an explanation. You know, if we can think that, hey, these people, they might have prayed the prayer, but the fact is that they're not very fruitful and they're probably not even saved. God's going to cut them out anyway. It makes it make sense for us. The sad reality is, we like to leave a little bit of doubt about our salvation because it gives us an in, a convenient excuse for dealing with other people's immaturity or hypocrisy. It's messy when you can say somebody can be in. I mean, they're in. They're as in as you can be, and you're either in the vine or you're not in the vine. It's messy spirituality to say you are in the vine, and yet you're unfruitful. But Jesus said, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So the question is, is Jesus cutting off those that aren't fruitful enough? And so I want to look a little closer at this scripture at two other words, the words cut off. Those words cut off, and maybe your translation says taken away. He takes away those branches. The word in the, in the original language is arrow. And the word means lift up. Now, our word for this year is lift. And so I, I kind of shouted amen to myself when I read that. I'm not going to lie. But the word is lift up. And I thought, wow, that doesn't sound like cut off. It's the same word in Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, that says, he will give his angels charge over you, and they will lift you up in their hands. It's the same word in Matthew 9, 6, when Jesus told the paralytic, lift up your mat, take up your mat, and go home. Arrow, your mat, and go home. It's the same word that when the 10 lepers saw Jesus at a distance and they lifted up their voice and they called out to him to have mercy on them, they lifted up their voice. It's the same word in Acts chapter 4 when the disciples had been threatened and warned not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. The Bible says they got together with all the church and they all began to lift up their voices in prayer. Arrow, it means to lift up. And so those branches who are in Christ, but they're not producing fruit, the gardener comes along and he lifts them up. Now, I don't know what you think about when you picture a vineyard. Maybe you have kind of, you know, our current image in mind where all the branches are lifted up. You know, you see like posts in the ground and they're growing up, but that's not how they grew them then. These vines were growing all over the ground. They were just kind of growing everywhere. And so the gardener comes along and he, and he sees a vine that's it's not really producing anything. You know, maybe it's sitting in soggy soil or, or maybe some bugs are eating at it or something. But he says, the, the one that's not producing anything, the gardener comes and he lifts it up. He lifts it up out of the mud. He lifts it up out of the dirt. He lifts it up out of the destroying things. Isn't that what God does in our lives, church? You know, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you say, I want to trust you, but all of a sudden you start sinking back down into the mud, aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't come along and go, snip, you're out. You tried, you blew it, it's over. But isn't that what we do sometimes to each other? 
But Jesus says, I, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And, and when he sees a, a one that is in me, not talking about those that are in the world, those that are in me, those that are attached to the vine, and it's not producing fruit, he comes and he lifts them up. Have you ever seen uh, vines grow together, like grapevines? What do they do? They all twist around each other, right? They all enter, they lock. And that's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be lifting one another up. We're supposed to be strengthening one another, getting each other up out of the dirt a little bit. And he says, that's what, that's what the gardener does. He lifts them up. If you put your faith in Christ, you are in Christ. You know, the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament. And Jesus nor the Apostle Paul are ever recorded as using those words. But to be in Christ, to be in him, it, that phrase is used about 164 times. It speaks more authoritatively of our salvation than the word Christian does. And if you are in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, and you don't see much fruit in your life, the exhortation is to stay, remain Stay in Christ. Don't, don't be defeated. Don't be discouraged. Know that there is life flowing to you. Maybe you're not producing at the rate somebody else is. Maybe it's taken you a while to turn things around. But there is life flowing to you from the Father through the Holy Spirit if you remain. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have gone and the new is here. Now, when we read that, it's like, man, that sounds like radical, transformational, dark to light, immediate results, everything is different. And when God does that in a person's life, it is absolutely miraculous. If you've ever seen somebody who just, you know, stumbled down to the altar drunk or, or, or high and, and God got a hold of their life and, and the the, the Tears broke loose and they got up sober and in their right mind. And I mean, that's miraculous. Can God do that? Absolutely God can do that. He can change our lives in a moment. And spiritually, that is what happens. The moment that we're saved, the moment we put faith in Jesus. But let me give you another verse that speaks of our salvation. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says this. For by one sacrifice. That's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Sounds like a contradiction a little bit, if you ask me. He has made perfect forever. So you're already perfect. Can't get any better than perfect. But he's already made perfect those who are still being made holy. Those that are still getting up out of the mud. Those are still getting eaten up by the bugs. Those that haven't quite yet become fully fruitful in their life. They're already perfect, but he's making them perfect. And I just say this today. If you will remain in Jesus, you will be fruitful. You, you will be. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you've got to prove yourself before Christ will accept you. He accepts you just as you are. Now, let's talk about the other branches for a minute. That's the unfruitful branches, but what about the fruitful ones? Verse 2 says, he cuts off every branch in me, or he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not, or that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. <laughs> Wait a minute. So the branches that are not bearing fruit, he doesn't actually cut those off. But the ones that are being fruitful, he cuts those. The reality is God's plan for our lives is that you and I would bring him glory. Now, this is shaky ground for me to preach a message that has anything to do with gardening. Because I just want to admit to you, I know nothing about gardening, Okay. So let me, I probably should have said that earlier. Anything that I say today that sounds halfway intelligent, I read that somewhere. <laughs> if I say something that doesn't make sense, you know, it's probably because I assumed something and it's not right and that's why nothing lives in my 
house. But the reality is God wants our lives to bring glory to him. And we have this uh, lilac bush by, uh, beside our deck at the house. And, uh, and I was really excited two years ago when we planted it because I thought it was going to grow up really tall and give us this shade from the street right there. And it's, it's you know, after like two years, it's like this tall. I'm like, I, I don't understand. So I asked my mother-in-law about it because, you know, she knows about this stuff. And I said, well, this thing's not growing. I, mean, I thought this thing was going to get big. And she said, you, you need to prune it back. Just prune it back this year, and, uh, and it'll grow. Sure enough, man, it's springtime. That thing's like two feet taller this year than it was last year because, because we had to prune it back. We had to cut away some things to allow it to grow fuller and stronger. And and the Bible talks about the way that God prunes us in Hebrews chapter 12. Look at this with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. It says, in your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. (laughs) Isn't that encouraging? It's like the writer of Hebrews says, suck it up. (laughs) Well, you're not bleeding. (laughs) Like, right? That's pretty much it. Think you got it tough? Well, you're not bleeding. Get back in there. But then he goes a little farther. He says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Why? Verse six says, Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. That doesn't sound like good news, but it is good news. Saying, don't don't be surprised when you you feel the pruning, when you feel the, the, the reproof, the chastening, and the discipline of the Lord, because he disciplines those he loves. Listen, I don't know if you felt any conviction yet this morning in this service, maybe by something we sang or something that we prayed or, or in the giving or even in something in this message, but I can promise you there's a lot of people that this message is putting zero conviction on. I mean, it, it, this, this means nothing to some people. They, they could even listen to this, and still, it would mean absolutely nothing to them. Why? Because the Lord disciplines those who are his sons who are his children, those that he loves. And sometimes you can, you can hear a message and you can go, oh, wow, that, and you just feel like I, something's got to change in me. Like that just, that spoke to me. I, I feel like my father trying to course correct my life. And other people can listen to that and go, where are we going to eat? Like nothing. But he says, listen, understand the father disciplines the ones he loves. Verse 7 The writer says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Sad to say we have a good answer for that in today's society. Maybe that's the biggest part of our problem. We got a lot of children who are not disciplined by their father. And the writer in the New Testament thinks that that's such a preposterous idea that he throws it out as hyperbole. Like, I mean, come on. What child's not disciplined by their father? And we go, hello, 2019 called. (laughs) We can show you. We can also show you the results of that. So the point still stands. It's a blessing to be disciplined by the Lord. It's a blessing. Verse eight, he says, if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10, the discipline, they disciplined us, earthly fathers. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. I love verse 11. And all the children said amen. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Those that are producing fruit, I'm not just going to neglect them. No, I'm still going to care for them. I'm still going to prune them. I'm still going to direct them. I'm going to coach them. I'm going to lead them. If things start growing in the wrong direction, I'm going to prune them back. I'm going to get them moving in the right direction again. Have you ever been to like a really nice resort somewhere like Disney or somewhere where like they have all the hedges and the trees like shaped like animals and like figures and stuff? Like that's next level. And you're like, wow, that's a rabbit. You know, it's it's a big shrub over there that somebody has, has trimmed and cut. Can I just say, as the gardener of our lives, God's objective is to prune your life so that it looks like Jesus. He wants, to, he wants to mold and prune and shape you so that the end result is that you look like Jesus. And so he says, those that are unfruitful, they're going to be made fruitful. We're not going to cut them off and cast them out. They're going to be lifted up. And those that are fruitful, they're going to continue to be pruned. They're going to continue to be shaped and molded. Look at verse 3 now. John 15, it says, You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now again, Jesus is making sure they understand salvation. And he's referring to something that just happened earlier in the night. It was actually in John chapter 13. You might remember Jesus was the one that picked up the basin and the towel and he was going to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter was like, no, 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 don't wash me. I'm unworthy. And Jesus said, look, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part in me. You know, and so Jesus has the bowl and the water and everybody's got their sandals off. And so, of course, Peter, you know, he goes, oh, well, then in that case, wash my whole body. Wash my head, scrub my back. You know, I mean, hey, I wanna, I'm all in. I'm an all in guy. And Jesus says this to Peter. (laughs) He said, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Peter, you're already clean. Put your shirt back on. (laughs) Impetuous Peter. You're already clean. And then he says, though not every one of you are. The next verse says, Jesus said this because he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. See, Judas was still at the table. Judas had his shoes off too. And and Jesus was saying, Peter, look, you're you're in the vine. Your heart's with me. You're clean. I don't need to wash your head. You're saved. But not everybody is. See, here's the thing. Justification, it flows down. Justification means God, God looks down and he, see, he doesn't see our sin. But sanctification flows up. See, when God justifies us, it's in a moment. You're saved. You believe you're in the vine. You can't be more saved than saved. You can't be more a branch than a branch. You're in. You're justified. But sanctification means that though you're fully justified, you, you still get dirt between your toes. You still get in the mud. You still go down roads you shouldn't have gone down. You still track dirt in the house of God sometimes. And so you need your feet washed, not your whole body. You don't need to get saved again. You do need to get sanctified. Just let me wash your feet. And so here in chapter 15, Jesus says again, you're already clean. And Judas has left the building by this time. He's off to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, there's only 11 at the table with Jesus. And he says, you're clean because the word that I spoke over you. And then he starts talking about bearing fruit in our life. I'm going to look quickly at verse uh, 4 and 5. It says this, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is emphasizing and reiterating this total dependence. He's really saying like the the very opposite of what what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.13. 
Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Same truth, just the opposite side of the coin. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And Paul says, with Jesus, I can do everything. And that's what we need to understand today, that if we have Christ, if we remain in Christ, we can do all things, but no root, no fruit. Now that much I do understand about gardening. No root, no fruit. You got to remain in him. And you're going to produce fruit. You say, well, what, is, what does the fruit look like of a person that remains? What, what should it be? Well, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So you can just kind of assess the garden of your own soul for a moment. If you're not seeing any of this growing in your life, you should ask yourself one question. Am I remaining or abiding in Christ? Am I abiding in Jesus? I mean, daily, is he my source? Daily, is he my strength? I mean, am am, am I getting what I need from him? Or if I started depending on somebody else, or if I started putting my confidence in myself, have I started looking to to other wells to satisfy my life instead of drinking from the taproot of heaven? Are you remaining? Verse six, let's go on. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, here's the difference between verse 2 and verse 6. In verse 2, Jesus is talking about the branches that are in him, even the unfruitful ones. As much as they can frustrate us, they're still in him. But now, he's talking about branches that have disconnected from the vine. He said, if you... Do not remain in me. That's the difference. Not the fruitfulness. The difference is the connection. Then those branches are withering and dying. And they'll be picked up and they'll be thrown into the fire. They'll be burned. And Jesus is speaking about hell. He's speaking about the reality of those that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't remain in Christ. See, again, you can't can't overlook the timing of this. It's so critical. Judas has just walked away. It wasn't somebody else saying, "You're you're not doing this thing right. You don't make the cut. You're out. No. Judas had every opportunity that Peter had. Judas had every access, every resource Every invitation to proximity with the Savior that any of the other disciples had, but he personally made a conscious choice to turn away from Jesus. And there's an empty seat at the table. And Jesus says in that moment, if you do not remain in me, this is what's going to happen. This is the reality for those that don't remain. Later, years later, John would go back and he would, he would write about Judas and those like him who just deny Jesus. They just deny the Lord. They don't make him the Lord of their life. He wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He said, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Like they were in the crowd. We saw them. We knew them. But if you scratch beneath the surface, they weren't connected. They they weren't in the vine. They didn't have the same life flow. They didn't belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. You know what this also says? It also says that we couldn't really tell until they were gone. 
You know, Jesus said, let the wheat and the tares grow up together. See, sometimes we, we, we want to be the experts on, on who, who's in and who's not. We're looking around the room, and, and John says we couldn't really tell who was with us and who wasn't until the ones that weren't left. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. If you remain in me, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Really? See, the key to having your prayers answered, because that's an amazing promise. The key to having your prayers answered is, is praying within the scope of God's will. It's not, it's not like a rub the magic lamp type thing, you know? Oh, well, hey, if I, if I just ask, you know, the Bible says Jesus will give me what I ask for. No, when the disciples said, Jesus, how do we pray? He said, pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. How many of you know that's a prayer that's always safe to pray? That's a prayer that God will, will answer. The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse four, take delight in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. I've heard a lot of people quote the second half of that verse. He'll give me the desires of my heart. I'm standing on that promise. He'll give me the desires of my heart. I'm going, wait a minute. Wait, quote the whole verse. Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So you have to start by searching your heart. Are you asking for something that the Lord wants for you? Because if your delight is in him, then yes, he will give you the desires of of your heart, but he's not going to answer prayers based on selfish ambition just because you said it's what I want and I said it in Jesus' name. But if we'll pray according to his will, we know that he hears us, and if he hears us, we know that we'll get what we ask for. Take delight in the Lord. See, abiding is delighting, it's not drudgery. Oh, I got to go back to church. I got to remain like a prison sentence. How, when's he going to let us out of here? Remain. I'm hungry. Remain. Yeah. No, abiding is delighting. It's just having a, 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 a life-giving, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered relationship with Jesus. Look at the next verse. This is verse eight. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. I keep trying to find a place to stop, but if the next verse is so good, I just keep having to keep reading. We will stop when we're done remaining. <laughs> I, I love this verse, though. I mean, look at this. This is to the Father's glory. Did you, God, God's not keeping blessing from us. It actually glorifies him for you to be fruitful. He's actually glorified when, when you are fruitful, when your life is blessed. He's not withholding from you. you know, I said a couple of weeks ago that God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living. He blesses us to raise our standard of giving. And it is true that the more blessed we are, the more positioned we are to be a blessing, even as a church, I mean, I want God to increase this church, but God is not causing the church to grow to expand our seating capacity. He's causing the church to grow to expand our sending capacity because there's more people to be blessed and there's more glory to the Father when we're fruitful. So there's an incredible promise here. God is glorified when you're fruitful, when you're blessed in your life. And so we remain we remain, verse nine, I gotta just keep going a little farther. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. And I, I gotta get to this one because this one answers the question, like how? I mean, how do we remain in your love? If, if, if that's what we're supposed to do, how do we do it? And verse 10 answers the question that verse nine asks. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commands and I remain in his love. This is where abiding becomes super practical. Just, just do, do what you know to do. Do what I've showed you 
to do. Continue to be submitted and led by me, and, and, and you'll remain. You, you're never going to stop remaining trying to follow me. No, it, it's only when, when you, like Judas, decide to bargain for a better deal than Jesus, that's when you're cut off. But so long as you're still in it and you go, hey, I, there's no better deal on the table. I might not be doing this perfectly, but I'm in. And as long as you're there, as long as you remain, as long as you're striving, it's not perfection, it's direction. As long as I'm still flowing back to the source of life, then there's life for me and there's blessing for me. Here's what we're going to do to end this service. And there's so much good stuff there. But we really can't remain forever. <laughs> Here's what I sensed we needed to do today. And, and in fact, I want to ask the worship team if you'll come back up here and help me with this. As I said in the beginning, this is a message that is applicable to every Christian at every moment on any given day, not just Sunday, of your life, that we remain in Christ. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with the Lord. There may be a few people here that you, you don't have a relationship with God and and today, you, you need to begin. You need to see Jesus as the true vine. He is the source of life, eternal life for you. And, and if that's you today, I, I want to just invite you to just respond to God. We're going to respond in a song together. But maybe, and this is true of many of you, maybe you weren't sure if you were in and I think a lot of times we can feel that way, you know, we get guilt, condemnation kind of piles on, all of our mistakes start, you know, inconveniently coming back to the forefront of our mind in the middle of church, and we're like, oh, I didn't, wish I wasn't thinking about that. And, and you've lived under that condemnation that God the gardener is walking around your life with a pair of pruning shears. He's just waiting to snip you off, throw you in the fire. And you've just kind of believed that, but today you, you've kind of gotten a new perspective that, that God is not trying to cut me off. I'm in. I'm in. I'm saved. I am saved today. I believe with my heart. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is my Lord. I'm saved, which means he looks down on me and he doesn't see sin. I am holy. Hallelujah. But I'm also in need of sanctification. I don't need a bath, but I do need my feet washed. Because I stepped in some stuff this week that I shouldn't have been going into. And while justification flows down, sanctification needs to flow up today. So there's no condemnation for you. You don't have to live Sunday to Sunday wondering, am I saved? Thank you, Jesus. Or did I blow it? But maybe you do need to come back to a place of saying, God, I, God, I surrender. I come back to you. And every one of us, every one of us, every day, we need to come back to abiding, to remaining.